You're listening to the Greatest Multifamily Investment Advice Show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the Greatest Multifamily Advice Show. Today we have Branson Health Real Estate Syndicator from Los Angeles with more than 17 years in real estate investing. Please help me to welcome our guest today. How are you? Good. I'm really glad to be here. I love talking about real estate and multifamily and just, uh, you know, there's a lot of changes, a lot of things happening today. So I love talking about all that and how people can get started and get moving and, and you know, obviously grow their wealth. Especially yesterday, I think the Fed's uh, like already as expected, 20 PPS point, and hopefully we can have slowdown on the interest rate on the, last, on the next uh, four or five months, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. That's really kind of the big thing right now with the Fed is that it's you know, uh, it's really driving everything, right? So we're, we're basically kind of watching the Fed and a lot of lenders now. Lending is really the hardest thing to navigate right now in any real estate because rates are continually rising. And so once, you know, rates actually kind of stop rising, they start, okay, there's kind of a trend of either things holding or starting to come down. I think lending will really open up a lot. There'll be a lot more lenders that want to lend. So before we start to syndication, I want to start to usually with the, the beginning for, for my guests. And why commercial estate? What bring you into the field? Uh, so what was the beginning for you? Yeah, so for me, I was a high-paid uh, medical sales professional. I was making over 200000 a year uh, selling surgical equipment in the OR and different surgical uh, areas. I'd worked with a lot of physicians. Obviously, they were very high net worth. And I had a couple of physicians I worked with that they, uh, you know, they made over $2 million a year each, but they we're working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week. And I just thought, you know, that's not really financial freedom, right? If you have a lot of money, but you have to work all the time. And so Warren Buffett has a saying that, you know, uh, unless you learn how to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die. Right. So for me, I kind of like was, I thought about that. I was like, well, what can I do that actually generates more capital? And so I, you know, I had been doing some real estate, but I discovered multifamily and I just realized I could use um, you know, it does take money to make money, but I could, it doesn't have to be my money. It could be other people's money and I can go after and do a big apartment deal. So the idea of getting cash flow, getting uh, income that you didn't necessarily have to work for, obviously when you're passive, uh, the mailbox money, you know, it shows up every month or every quarter, which is awesome. So that's what I'm really committed to helping people do. So before the show, we talked about you starting on like every syndicator as, as a first step on on single family home and duplexes and small multifamily and then jumping to syndication. But you had this like an actual example of not uh, investing on fringe market. You're from Los Angeles, but actually you're spending on or you're investing on the same belt, basically. So tell us what was the actual um, reasoning driving you to the same belt? Yeah. So in California, you know, we just kind of find the most common sense way of doing everything. And then we just do the exact opposite. And so it's, it's a little hard when it comes to investing because, you know, if you're a landlord, you have very little landlord rights. You know, if somebody doesn't pay, I have a friend who uh, tenants just in a house stopped paying and it took him almost, you know, five, six months to get them out. And so versus in some of these other states, somebody stops paying, get them out very quickly. So it's just, you know, the ability to do what you'd like with your property, the absence of rent control, uh, which actually rent control makes uh, housing you know more expensive for everybody in that area because it reduces the supply. So um, you know there used to be kind of this. Um, I run a meetup in Pasadena where I live. We had about seventy people there last night, and this came up like, well, isn't there this like two hour rule? You've got to live within two hours of the real estate you own so that you can go there if something goes wrong. Well, I live like a five six hour flight from where 
my real my real estate is right. But then that what it does is when you set it up that way, it really means that you have to develop a team, right? So I've got partners that actually live in Florida that actually are there on on site. We've got a full time asset manager, so we've got teams of people. So how I set it up is I'm not the one who's getting the calls and trying to manage all that from day to day. We've got team members that do that. So the numbers make a lot more sense. Uh, I have a friend that says. You know, uh, you know, live where you want and invest where the numbers make sense, right? And so the numbers, the returns are just two to three times higher in a place like the Sunbelt uh, because of the growth, population growth, job growth, income growth, and you just get a much higher return. So uh, we started the, the show today with uh, the inflation and the recession, and we, we, we're not sure when, is, when we're going to head the bottom yet. But one of the things with the underwriting now is uh, the high... Um, expenses from the maintenance, the insurance, the, the payrolls. So right now we're seeing a lot of slowdown, especially on the fourth quarter and third quarter on, on deals in general because of the high expectation of the seller so far, not yet meeting with the buyer uh, perspective or underwriting. How you see the first quarter so far on, on Florida, for an example, or Atlanta? Um, yeah, so I think, you know, you're talking about the first quarter and the first quarter of this year in Florida, yeah. you're asking about specifically. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, when you buy in areas where you're seeing population growing, um, it gives you, you know, Warren Buffett, I also I follow him a lot, but he talks about the idea of a margin of safety, right? So a margin of safety is if things don't go exactly the way you expect, you still have some protection there. So one protection is being in an area where there's continuing growth. And we feel like that is only going to continue because of baby boomers. Uh, moving to Florida, it's much more affordable than like living in Miami or living in Orlando or something, living in a place like Jacksonville. So secondary market can be good. Um, another margin of safety we like, um, this is a little bit of a side note, but um, you know, when you're buying an area that's growing, if you have a value add component, right? So if you're buying uh, REITs or you're buying a brand, everybody's like, aren't, isn't it a syndication, you know, a passive investing deal like what we do, isn't that similar to like a REIT? And I say, well, no, it's very different because a REIT is publicly traded, but these REITs, they have so much money they have billions and billions of dollars. They have to go into the biggest areas, buy the newest properties. And so they really own the real estate market. So they're much more dependent on, you know, if real estate goes up, it'll go up. If real estate goes down, it'll go down. And so that's, um, you know, kind of how they operate. When you have a value add component, like what we have is we're buying stuff that's built in the 70s. We like to go do a renovation, you know, spend $6,000 per unit. We know if rent's 1,000, rent can go to 1,500, which is like a 50% 50, 50 upside, which will increase the value by about 50%. Because that's how, you know, commercial real estate is different than single family. It's not based on comps, it's based on income. Mm -hmm. So that puts a big margin of safety in there, no matter what happens to, you know, in valuations or what happens to, uh, you know, what interest rates or things like that. So that's kind of what we like. But I think in general, uh, we, we love, you know, this part of Florida in particular, because we still feel like we're able to find great deals. Right now, it's a little hard to get deals across the finish line, just because of lending, because rates are higher, as well as instead of putting 20% down, you have to put sometimes 30, 40% down. So we like the deals we're in, we feel very comfortable with them. We're continuing to keep our eyes open. We know that's going to probably, the tide is going to turn at some point, hopefully in the near future, they give us a chance to really jump in with both feet and, and continue to add more. Regarding your portfolio and especially on the Sunbelt, I saw like an actual trend and all of the active syndicators trying to avoid the C-class, especially on uh, Texas because of the insurance and the high maintenance fees. Uh, what is actual uh, uh, sweet spot for your portfolio right now? Is it B or C or E-class? 
Um, so, we, yeah, we do really, uh, I would say B and C class, we're kind of going the C plus, B minus stuff. A lot of times, you know, I see ads out there for passive investments, for syndications, and it shows this beautiful brand new building with a pool and a sauna and all these amenities. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, well, you're not, you're not personally going to be living there, right? So there's kind of this sweet spot I find. Class A, you know, again, there's not as much value to add. Class D uh, is kind of the lowest, roughest property, you know, gang infested, whatever. It's very difficult to change a D property, particularly if it's in a D area. It's just very difficult. But C and, you know, B and C is really workforce housing. It's working class apartments. There's a lot of need for that. Typically, you have pretty good tenants. If you can change a property from a C plus to a B minus or a B, uh, it really, you can bring in a different type of tenant and you can really increase the value pretty dramatically. We've done that. We've had some good exits where we've really been able to successfully do that. Regarding the actual uh, assets and the current market market now, especially with the underwriting, uh, how you see the actual market flow with the deals right now with the prices, especially that we uh, gonna have potential opportunities and uh, distresses properties because of what happened in the last two years uh, with the floating rate on nineteen and twenties uh, when some of the syndicators have to uh, give up and sell anyway. Uh, so how you see right now the actual um, market flow of deals? Yeah, Adam, I can tell you're, you're in the multifamily world here, here looking at the stuff we're looking at is, yeah, there's going to be some distress that comes up. There's going to be people, we're already seeing it. I've seen some deals where people did really a deep value add kind of at the wrong time. Their interest and their, their you know, fi- financing costs have gone way up and they're in trouble, right? Because they, they, they're not, these deals, they, they assume they were going to be able to turn around um, they're not able to turn around because their their costs have gone way up on the financing. Um, so I, I think in general, there's a difference between right now going after new properties. Uh, if somebody did get in over their head or there's not a value add that's there, I really think a lot of stuff is at risk, particularly some of the newer stuff that some of these big REITs had. There was actually a couple weeks ago, there was a couple articles that came out. There was a big group in San Francisco that has like 50 properties worth over 500 million and they're in delinquency or they're basically going to be basically defaulting on it. There's another one. I think it was New York or somewhere else that was about four or 500 million. So there are groups out there now that are, are, uh, are in trouble. And I think, um, you know, Warren Buffett also has a saying again, another Warren Buffett saying, um, you know, kind of the idea be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. So a lot of people right now are very fearful. A lot of people, there's a record record amount of money in Americans bank accounts. It's actually about four times what it was during COVID, which was the highest we ever had. It's about $5 trillion now. So a lot of people are just waiting. But the problem with that is inflation is high. Uh, you're going to get hurt by inflation just by keeping money in the bank. So I think it's really important to have other investments you do or just really keep an eye. Okay, what, what should I be doing here? So we feel good about the deals we have because of the value add component. Uh, we're also going to continue to watch and see, you know, as distress, you know, stuff becomes available, you know, there creates some really unique opportunities. So I think really what gives you safety is a value add component is being very conservative on your underwriting and also having uh, either you have fixed rate debt, which can be challenging to get just to make the numbers work, or uh, you have uh, bridge debt with some sort of cap on it. And of course the interest uh, cap, you know, where you, you limit the insurance on the cap, uh, the interest cap there can be kind of expensive. So those have gone up sometimes 20 times as much as they were a year ago. Mm-hmm. So that's very significant, but uh, you know, it is something to really look at and it's something that we're watching in our deals. It's something we're watching in other people's deals. And we want to make sure that we're uh, positioned to take advantage when the time's right. Uh, going to uh, your deals and uh, your brand, going back five years back, building your brand, building uh, podcast. Tell me about the podcast you have uh, building because we're we're talking about team sport here. You have to have tourist capital. You have to have an image. What was the beginning for you when you decide to have a podcast? 
Yeah. So uh, for me, I started the podcast. We, we've been doing deals for a while. And then I started the podcast about a year and a half ago. Um, so I've been, you know, about two and a half years in, I decided to start the podcast. Um, I just, you know, wanted to create a place to have conversations like this, like this show that you're doing where you can have high level conversations. Uh, we really, our show is dedicated to passive investing. So people that are, you know, busy professionals, business owners, people that are trying to reduce taxes, um, you know, all of that. We have a show called the Mailbox Money Show. And so that's been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, no, I think, you know, the reason I, I do that and I have my YouTube channel and we have other things that we're doing is we're just trying to create value in the marketplace. A lot of people are just really concerned. They don't know what to do right now. Mm. And yet there's incredible opportunities to make money right now. It's just, you have to know how to position yourself so that you can take advantage of it. Bringing to the subject of the passive investing and your show, what is your actual advice to passive investor right now is like, uh, comparing between the rate and syndication or fund model? Yeah. So I think right now, I think it's important. We're, we're diversifying, uh, you know, outside of real estate right now as well. We have our ATM machine fund. We're partnered with the fifth largest operator of ATM machines in the country. We open this fund a few times a year. We've raised quite a bit of money for this. Um, and so, you know, we like it. It's, it's the most consistent cash flowing deal that I've seen. So that's something that is very unique. It has some tax benefits also. We also just this week, at least the time this recording, we opened a, uh, our car wash deal with a private equity car wash group. And uh, we're pretty excited about that. So finding things that, you know, are recession resistant that have lesser or no um, leverage, you know, is really a positive, um, you know, in any deal, there's always risk in every deal. So I always tell passive investors, you know, try to figure out what is, what could go wrong in this deal? What's the, what, what are some of the risks here? And then how likely is that scenario? And are you comfortable with that or what, you know, if, if it goes well, do you, you know, what do you make? And if it, if it goes not well, you know, what do you, you know, do you lose all your money? Do you lose temper? Like what, what are kind of the likely scenarios? So I think, uh, I think right now, you know, again, like I mentioned, we're positioning ourselves to be ready for opportunity in multifamily. We're also branching out and doing some other alternative assets also. You mentioned something about private equity and my question here, what was the motivation now here is uh, instead of raising capital from the accredited investor to go to the private equity as a, as a stack equity on your deals. Uh, and what was uh, your advice to active syndicators who starting their negotiation with uh, family offices and private equity firms? Um, so your question is more about asking about bigger institutional firms going yeah. to get capital from larger firms. So we don't really do as much of that just because we found, um, and we, we have, we have worked, we have, you know, several investors that invested over a million dollars the last year, but it's mostly just wealthy individuals, retail investors, um, you know, there are people we know, we have a lot of friends that, you know, have a number of friends that work a lot with family office or bigger institutional groups. Um, I've just found, you know, for a lot of people, you know, they are busy, they're professionals, they're trying to figure out how to get started in it. That's kind of the person I've really focused on. Mm. And then, um, you know, eventually we might start working more with institutional folks. It's just uh, sometimes, sometimes because they're writing a big check, they can try to squeeze you and say, hey, we really want all this and kind of change the terms and really try to squeeze you a bit as an operator to where it just, you know, the terms are more favorable for them and less for, for everybody. So, uh, you know, it's not that we're, we're not open to, we're definitely open to it. It's just, uh, we've traditionally done more, you know, the 30 million we've raised, we've done just mostly retail investors. After raising 30 million, how you can describe your superpower? Ah, um, well, I think, you know, when I first started, um, I thought, you know, I, I know I want to get into multifamily. I wasn't sure. Usually there's two ways people get started uh, in this business, either it's raising money or it's finding deals. And mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be a deal finder. So I analyzed 50 or hundred deals and I was bringing deals to 
um, you know, a, a larger group and say, Hey, here's a deal, whatever. And then I realized like, man, I have 10 years of sales experience you know, maybe this could work raising money. And so I think for me, I love, um, I think, I think for me, it's really connecting with people and really trying to create value from conversations What you know, whether it's me talking or we, we do a panel, uh, just really trying to help people understand finance. And I think that's really my passion is, you know, I think when someone's financially free, uh, it frees them up to write the book they want to write or spend more time with family or to not work because they have to, you know, it's something like 65% of people hate their jobs, right? So if you can just, we can help people become out of a place where they, they don't, you know, they're doing something they enjoy or they have freedom to, well, if you did, if you had all the money, you know, would you quit your job and go teach high school math or something? Or would you do something totally different that's more in line with really your values rather than letting money try to drive that equation? And before we conclude, how is the people can reach you? Yeah, so this is awesome, Adam. I appreciate you having me on. Um, so this is the uh, ebook I wrote. It's called How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage. It's 50 color pages on my website at bronstonequity.com. Uh, we also, if people want to join our investment club, we have some of these unique deals there. That's at Bronson Equity also. I'm also on social media and I love connecting with folks about investing. So thanks for having me, Adam. Great stuff and hope we can bring you again to the show. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you most. 